you know, he'll walk up to me and try to hug me and say, big old, big old, big old, big old Mike. And so I was like, why I got to be all those big olds? And so every time he said another big old, he'll open his own like, big old, big old, big old, big old Mike. And then, you know, hug. It was just funny. But, I mean, he had a great spirit. He was a, a good kid. And I didn't, I never thought in a thousand years, a million years, that the way he went out, he would have gone out. Or that I would stand over him and, and just say a forever goodbye. I never thought that that would happen. Never. In parts of New Orleans, Michael Ricks is a legendary educator, known for his full girth and even fuller heart. Most people just call him Big Mike. For years, Mike's formal title in the middle and high schools where he worked was academic and behavioral interventionist. Although in practice, he serves as a combination between disciplinarian, social worker, and friend. Mike spoke with me one August evening for this episode of What My Students Taught Me, the podcast that dives deep into the teacher-student relationship. I'm Sarah Carr. Mike met Cyril, the student who teasingly addressed him as Big Old Mike, in the years before Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans. At that time, Mike worked at Carter G. Woodson Middle School, where Cyril was a particularly memorable student for him. Cyril desperately wanted to march in the city's Mardi Gras parades as part of the school's color guard, and for a time, that desire kept him on track and well-behaved. At that time, he was so small and a little scrunchy and was just like, like, you know, he was a, a funny, funny, funny kid. He would, Big Mike, I swear to God, you know, just everything he said, he always said, I swear to God, I promise, Mike, I promise. And he worked, he wanted to march, he wanted to march, he wanted to march, but them grades was bad at first. But Cyril worked hard to try to get those grades fixed. Cyril, at the, the first, when we first met him, at Woodson was a part of a little group uh, in the Calio project where he lived. Uh, his mom was always a hard worker. He was one of those in-between kids, those kids that you had to do something, or I guess you can say you had to keep him busy so that he wouldn't mix and mingle too much in the community where he lived. Cyril was one that, um, I guess you can say a kid that was used to having stuff. And uh, I think it got to the point that if mom couldn't provide, Cyril would do whatever, that whatever he kept from me, um, he had to do to, to survive in the basic, I guess you could say keep up. After Hurricane Katrina, Cyril enrolled in O'Perry Walker High School, where Mike now worked. Mike could tell he had to work hard to keep Cyril from getting too involved in the drug scene near the Calliope housing project where the student lived. And when Cyril started to show up with nice things that Mike knew he couldn't afford on his mother's income, Mike suspected he was dealing drugs. Because I'm a realist, and I know some of my students, uh, former students, current students, probably future students, you know, have sold drugs you know, or, or is related to people. 
that sell drugs. He would deny it to us if he had anything going on. But you know, I don't think I would put my head on the chopping block to say that he didn't do anything violent to anyone. I don't think that. To the extent that he could, Mike tried to occupy Cyril's time and keep him out of trouble. I made sure that he stayed at school late, you know, practice over at 7. They would board the bus about 7.15 at that time. And so living in the Calio, Cyril may have gotten home about 8.30, 9 o'clock, you know, something like that. I know he loved that marching unit. So I would say, okay, Cyril, you are like the coach. And so Cyril got other kids who wanted to march, taught them how to march, taught them routines, made sure they went to tutoring. You know, I would tell him, oh, Cyril, I need you to go such and such. You know, even when we just didn't need it, you know, it was just whatever to keep him from, you know, uptown. Still, as much as Cyril liked Color Guard, he also liked having cash on hand. He loved nice things. He loved nice clothes. You know, his car was nice. He started to decorate it up a little bit. If Cyril worried Mike, he also kept him entertained. He was funny, so all the kids used to laugh at him. You know, everybody was cool with him. And at Walker, we had this breezeway where it was where all the kids would hang out for lunchtime. And, you know, after school, if they didn't have anything to do, they would just hang out on the breezeway. And so we all hanging out and everybody's hanging out. And Cyril out of nowhere would just make a joke. And the whole breezeway would just bust out laughing, you know, like, boy, you crazy. And he would just, he had this little weird little dance, little dance that he did. And it was just, it was funny. Before Cyril finished high school, his mother moved out of the Calliope projects. Not too far away, but Mike was glad. He figured even a stone's throw of distance might help keep Cyril from the neighborhood drug scene. And I knew, you know, some of the battles that Cyril had as far as neighborhood-wise. But I kind of started feeling good because his mom said, you know, I'm moving. She moved over there on Clara Street, right uh, between Felicity and St. Andrew. And so I knew that was still close to the Calio, you know, I, but I just figured he was away from there and that he could move forward in life. Mike says Cyril finished his high school degree in 2009, but not long after, Mike was working at school one evening when he got some shocking news, news that left him heartbroken. Cyril had been shot dead in the driver's seat of his car. He was just a couple of blocks from the Calliope housing project. I went in the office, it was about 7.30, and uh, I told Mr. Mitchum, who was sitting um, in the office, I said, Cyril is dead. He was in that car to me, shot down like a dog, you know, like no one deserves that. Um, he had no chance at surviving at all. And it was, ugh, it was just a moment. It was a moment, it was a moment. He was one of my favorites. That was the early stages of me, you know, being a high school educator. 
And it just, it did something to me. I wasn't, during that time, I wasn't at the point where I am now, like, okay, it happens. You know, like, I'm immune to it now. Lord knows I hate to say that. And especially being, like I said, an educator, we shouldn't be immune to kids dying. Not being killed anyway. We just shouldn't. I don't think it was ever meant to be this way. Mike says that since Cyril's passing nearly eight years ago, he's learned to accept that the immense toll is going to leave him feeling overwhelmed at times. Cyril's loss stands out, partly because they were so close for so long, and it also came relatively early in Mike's time working at the high school level. Mike says he's lost at least 40 students over the last decade. When children are killed, your first line of defense is automatically, you know, make sure that the other students are comfort and make sure that you comfort the family. There has never been a moment where people said, let me comfort the teachers, the disciplinarians, even the principals. You know, no one has ever said that. And so, you know, we just have to hold it all here, you know, and on our shoulders and just walk every day, just walk back in and just do it all over again. You know, story of our lives. And uh, I guess it just became too overwhelming, Sarah, you know. Yeah. It kind of became a little bit too overwhelming. I don't think no college or university can truly prepare you for what you truly go through if you genuinely love kids in an urban community, in an urban, you know, school district. Most days, though, Mike is energized about the work, and he doesn't shy away from preaching whenever he sees the need. For kids like Cyril, who grow up seeing regular images of men driving around in nice cars that were acquired at a steep and dangerous cost, Mike reminds them that there are other ways to earn a good living and feel much more secure. I always tell our kids, you know, there's place and time for everything. There's a place and there's a time when you're going to have the nice house, you know, if you work hard for it. You know, if you're going to mimic somebody, mimic someone that doesn't have to hide from the police. You know, somebody that can walk out of their house and they pay for their house and, you know, they go to work and they, you know, get taxes. They've earned that money. Not someone that have that money and have to hide and duck and run from the police or worry about somebody robbing and killing them, you know, for that money. I don't live that life. I've never lived that life. But it has to be a, a constant fear of the worst. For his colleagues, Mike's message is different. To every educator, a parent that listens to this, I do understand that the struggle is real. But this struggle is worth it. It's worth every good that can ever come in your soul. It's worth it. And if we can reach one, then we've done our job.
Big Mike tries to predict which kids are headed down a dangerous or destructive path and need his counsel or stern hand. But even someone with a supersized heart can't always be a soothsayer. Sometimes he winds up grieving missed signs and missed opportunities. There's a picture of Mike and Cyril together that Mike has spent a lot of time thinking about. Cyril is wearing a purple hooded sweatshirt and he looks like a skinny, sweet kid as he rests his head on Mike's not-so-skinny shoulder. The student has lines around his eyes, however, and he looks grateful for the chance to unburden his weight, if only for a moment. Mike looks at that photo now, and he asks a question that haunts those who've lost someone dear to violence. What more could I have done? I always look back at this picture. It looked like he had some kind of worries on him. And he just, he laid there. You know, when I think about it, I go back and think about it, like, he wants to, he wanted to tell me something. It looked like all of his problems laid down when he laid down on my shoulder. And he looked like something was just troubling him. And he looked like he was tired. Can't ever forget his soul. You know, the spirit is who he, this kid. He was great. He was a great kid. No one was ever arrested or charged for Cyril's murder, which remains unsolved. Big Mike was recently promoted to Dean of Students at New Orleans' Landry Walker High School. He holds a special place in his heart for Cyril and the other students he's lost. This episode is dedicated to their memories. What My Students Taught Me was created by the Teacher Project, an education reporting fellowship at Columbia Journalism School. It's produced by Mallory Falk. Thanks to Aaliyah Wong and to Matt Thompson at The Atlantic for their support. And a special thanks to Big Mike.